Hello, my friends. How are you today? You're listening to the St. Mark Bemidji Sunday Edition Podcast, which is brought to you by Casual Clothes. Casual Clothes, all you need to wear to go to church in public. This podcast features a replay from our Sunday sermon, or on occasion, a sermon from another Wells Sister Church. Today's sermon is titled, You Are Salt, and is based upon Matthew 5, verse 13 through 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, without further ado, let us join Pastor Zamzo for today's sermon. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior, who calls things that are, are, that are not as though they are, and calls things that are as though they are not. Amen. We don't like to be called names. We teach our kids not to do it. If you hear it in the workplace, it's typically not a good thing when, you, uh, when, when somebody calls you a name. Or we even hear that phrase, name-calling. However, in his Sermon on the Mount, the Son of God, the Holy One, the Messiah, there's quite a bit of name-calling. Last week, we heard how Jesus called you what? In spite of being poor in spirit, mourning, meek, merciful, persecuted, what did he call you? He called you blessed. And in the Gospel for this morning, in Matthew chapter 5, in the lesser known second portion of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus continues His name calling. This morning we hear Him call His people, His disciples, the ones that are sitting there at His feet. He calls them something else. He calls them two things, in fact. He says you are salt, and he says you are light. Uh, For our purposes this morning, I really want to hone in on this idea of the Christian, the disciple of Jesus, being salt. When Jesus gives an illustration, he packs it full of meaning. And as we pull apart this one, this salt we, this idea that we are salt. 
we gain an identity that sets us, ourselves aside from the rest of the world. We realize, as Jesus intends, that we have a different flavor, if you will. Notice how the Lord Jesus doesn't, how he sets this up. He simply says, you are the salt of the earth. Notice how he doesn't say, if you follow those beatitudes that I laid out before, you will be the salt of the earth. He doesn't say, I hope you become the salt of the earth. He doesn't say, you might be the salt of the earth, nor is this a challenge that he's issuing to you or to those who are sitting at his feet that day. He simply says, definitively and simply, you are the salt of the earth. It's just a statement of who you are. Dear disciple of Jesus, who has found his or herself sitting at the feet of the one who has the words of eternal life. He tells us what we are regardless of what our own sinful nature says of us, what the world would call us or what the devil would have us think we are. Jesus, our Savior, the Son of God, the Messiah, calls you a name. And he says you are plainly and definitively the salt of the earth. You are salt. And the concept of a Christian being salt is an interesting one to say the least. Upon hearing Jesus' words here, we might immediately have some questions as to what exactly he means when he says you are the salt of the earth. First of all, let's remember this, that when our Savior Jesus gives an illustration to teach, He never does so lightly. He chooses His words carefully so as to drive home His point and to illustrate a truth. So think about what Jesus gives us here. What is salt? It can be used as a preservative, I suppose, but more commonly, salt is simply what? Same as it is now as it was then. It's a flavor enhancer. Jesus is telling His disciples, you are the flavor of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Without salt, without us, what is the flavor of the world? Isn't it bitterness because of all the effects of sin? The bitter taste of anger, hatred, discord, jealousy, guilt? The stale taste of disease and sickness? Or the dry, ashy taste of death? Isn't that the normal flavor of the world? But you are salt. You, dear Christian, you, disciple of Jesus, you are salt. When I was writing this and I was thinking about a Christian being salt and comparing it to the natural flavor of the world, I couldn't help but think of a couple of friends of mine um, who are not salt. Uh, they're not Christians. They're not believers. People that I love as human beings, but they're not Christians. They don't have the same flavor as we do. And they have all these sweet-sounding, noble goals end world hunger, end racism, develop technology that serves mankind. 
all of these things that sound so sweet. But I remember uh, talking to a friend of mine and he was, uh, he was discouraged. Um, he was like, man, when I thought... Uh, I, one day I'll feel bad about saying this, but I am coming up on my 20-year class reunion and it's kind of like, really? Um, I remember him, I was talking to him recently and he's like, man, when I, when I figured by now when, when, we, when we graduated from high school back in 2004, I thought... I thought for sure that by now, you know, we would have solved these problems of the world. That we would have this technology that could just develop food and we could feed starving people. Or that things like racism or sexism or all these things, they'd be gone, long gone. And he's discouraged as he's looking out at the world. Because he realizes that, yeah, there's a solution to some of those issues for a time. Somebody might invite, uh, invent like a longer-lasting light bulb or something like that. But what do you, dear disciple of Jesus, know that my friend doesn't? That so long as the world endures, there will be hunger, there will be tears, there will be the poor, there will be disease, and there will be death. Why? For as long as people are sinful, so these things will continue to be. That will be the flavor of the world. What are all those things? What makes the flavor of the world the flavor of the world? When you're looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it almost seems like these two parts are kind of disjointed. He's talking, he's calling names. He says you're salt and light. And then in the second part, he brings up God's law. But this is where the two things are married together. This is where these two things connect. Because what are all those things? Why is the flavor of the world the flavor that it is? The bitter taste of anger and hatred and hunger and pain and sickness and death? Well, the Christian knows what that is. That's the visible, tangible effects of people breaking God's law. The visible, tangible effects on the world because of sin. The breaking of God's law that He so graciously gave us. The law that Jesus says in this text will not be removed. Not the least stroke of a pen will not be taken away until heaven and earth disappear. Now don't mistake Jesus and don't mistake me. I'm not saying here that those things uh, the, that those things are given, that the ill effects of sin on the world are given to punish you and I for specific sins that we have committed, but rather the perfect law of God is the very thing that makes a Christian cognizant, aware that things are not right in the world, not with nature, not with other people, not with ourselves. When we see the effects of sin in the world, it's a direct result of people uh, of sin. It's a direct result of sin. The scripture says the one who sins will die. When we take a look at the Ten Commandments and we think of ourselves, we who know God, and we think how many times have we broken the first commandment? as we've set up our own gods of money and popularity or influence or politics, we've set the, or self, 
or we've misused the name of the one who knit us together in our mother's womb and created all, all things that exist. Or we don't always gladly hear and learn what our Lord has to say to us. And when it comes to other people, we love them selectively or not at all. Christ says He came not to abolish, not to get rid of, not to take away the law, but to make its true purpose fully and completely known. To show the depth of bitterness, so to speak. That this law of God cannot be kept in some outward, superficial way. But rather that this disease is something that descends down into the bedrock of the soul in every single person. As he teaches elsewhere in, in Scripture, murder is not the physical act of driving a knife or shooting them with a gun. Adultery is not the physical act. It's lusting after somebody else. Murder is the same as hatred. Adultery is the same as lust. Stealing is the same as, uh, as, as the, the covetous thought that sinfully desires something that is not yours. Jesus came to expose the true nature of what God's law is. To show it to us. This is the depth of the bitterness. This is the depth of the problem. And he came not to take it away. But rather, in his own words here, he holds himself to that standard. I'm not getting rid of this, he says. I'm not taking it away. I'm not brushing it under the rug. I'm not saying I'm going to forget it, but what is he going to do with it? Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Where you and I could not, where nobody else in the world could, our Lord Jesus says that He came to fulfill it. He does so for you and me. He does so for the whole world. And herein lies the nature of our saltiness. Because when the world seeks its own solution to sin or to pain or to guilt or sadness or the bitter tears of death, the Christian knows that under this sun, there is no permanent worldly solution to the bitterness or the staleness of this earth. There's no one mortal person that can solve all the hurts that, that bring tears. No matter how much, how good one determines themselves to be, an individual person cannot silence the guilty conscience on their own. The best we can do on our own is to try to yell louder than it or to muffle it or to shut it up for a time. A group of people, no matter how brilliant or how determined or how committed, no matter what letters are after their name, will never be able to solve the problem of death. That's the bitter, dry, stale taste of, that the that the bitter. This is the bitter, dry, stale taste that the world is so familiar with. But the Christian, by the grace of God, knows what Jesus has called them knows what the Lord has made them to be. Apart from all these things in the world. Apart from all of the effects of sin. At peace with God. 
knowing the forgiveness that has been won for us, and thus knowing that we are free from the grave. That cross and trial cannot grieve us. That Christ is near with His cheer and never will He leave us. That what Jesus came in doing in fulfilling every last letter of the law and showing us what a great Savior He is, showing us out of that this all was done for us out of infinite, indescribable love, that you and I might have a different flavor on our tongues than the rest of the world because we have a different message on our lips. We are the salt of the earth. Jesus implies a warning here too for the Christian. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. wait, Wait a minute. How can salt not be salt? Is that an impossibility? Well, not if you think about it. Pure salt will always be pure salt. But think about the climate and the place and the time in which Jesus and his disciples lived. What would make salt not salty? The only thing that makes salt not salty is if it's contaminated with something, sand or dirt or the like. And that's actually literally what Jesus means. In the original, he literally says that the salt was caused, is caused to be useless. In other words, something out, some outside force acted upon the salt and made it worthless. It was contaminated with something. You see where he's going with this little explanation? What harms a Christian's faith? What makes a believer not salty? It's when somebody who is the salt of the earth allows themselves to be contaminated by the flavor of the world. By the bitterness in the world. By the anger and the rage and the hatred of the world. To become complacent with the repetition of the things in the world. And thus be overcome and depressed by the idea or the dry, stale taste of death. One might think, well, the obvious ones or the easy illustrations that one might point to is uh, if you don't, if you listen to bad music or, or, or you watch nasty movies, those are things that, that threaten to contaminate a believer. Sure. But what's the main thing here? And it goes back to what Jesus is talking about when he's discussing the law. This idea that when one looks at God's perfect and holy law and says, eh, I don't really need that. Some of those don't really apply to me. Or I don't think they should apply to me. Or they look at themselves and they say, well, I'm actually not that bad. I've not actually killed anybody. I haven't stolen a gross amount of money and I haven't committed adultery. I've done pretty well for myself. You know, I I, I think that I've been good and I've been kind in the eyes of the world. What is that? But trying to erase little bits of God's law. It's minimizing one's sin. 
And when our sinful natures minimize our sin, and it minimizes our need for the law of God, it also minimizes our great, deep, dire need for a Savior. And sadly, we see it happen all too often when a Christian becomes, when a formerly salty Christian becomes not salty, they become not just useless to the gospel cause, they actually become harmful towards it. Maybe some of you know former salty Christians. And for whatever reason, they became not salty. Primarily the reason being, well, I look at those Ten Commandments and I don't, I don't think I really need that. I don't really like being told every single week that I'm a sinner. I don't like being told that I need hell. I don't like being told that this, that, or the other thing is wrong or bad. And so they turn around and they become bitter. And they become angry themselves towards the church, towards their pastor, towards fellow Christians, toward even their own family members. And we see this happen all too often. Former Christians take on the same flavor as the world that they had initially been called out from. Can a salty, can such a person be made salty again? That's the burning question that everybody has. Can somebody who's fallen away and become not salt be salt again? Well, Jesus says, uh, as he's talking, I, I remember the, the camel going through the eye of the needle illustration and with man it would be impossible but with God all things are possible simply take the warning this morning though for what it is stay salty simply put stay in the word stay in the sacraments staying salty is staying in the word that teaches you what your life in this world is really all about that as God has called you in mercy and has shown you indescribable grace, that we are able to season our own love with mercy and grace and forgiveness. That we season our life every day knowing that we've been sprinkled and seasoned with the waters of baptism when Jesus called you to be pure salt. And season your conversations with salt. With the hope that you have in Jesus because you have seen and that you have tasted that the Lord is good and that His mercy endures forever. The disciple of Jesus, the Christian, both the ones at His feet that day and today, here right now, are the salt of the earth. We live in a world tainted by the bitterness of sin and the blandness of repetition and the stale flavor of death. But your Savior Jesus calls you the salt of the earth. Because of what He made you. Amen. That's all there is for today. There isn't any more for this podcast. But if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, you might consider subscribing to the podcast and you will get content four times weekly in your favorite podcast app with no further effort. Additionally, you might consider sharing it with a friend. Each and every podcast has a share link in its description, which can be found in the same podcast app you're listening to right now. Let me know if you can't find it, or if you just want to say hello, 
by emailing me at john.kirk at stmarkbemidji.org. Share God's Word and share the light of the world. I also want to take this opportunity to invite you to church with us. Each and every week, we have two church services in Bemidji, Minnesota at 2220 Ann Street on Sundays at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. Additionally, we have a completely free cup of coffee that comes with a complimentary Bible study at 9.15 a.m. Each and every Bible study is led by a certified and college-educated minister. Or maybe you live in Walker, Minnesota. On the second and fourth Monday of every month, we also have church services there at 1100 Minnesota Avenue West at 7 p.m. Come as you are, and I hope to see you soon. If you have more questions or you want more information about our ministry, check out our website at www.stmarkbemidji.org. Have a blessed rest of your day.